We're starting a new series here. It's, we're going to be in the book of James. We've been in the Old Testament for some time. Look at Job. And I think Tom, when he spoke, he spoke about um, King David. And last week we were in Isaiah, and before the marriage conference, week before the marriage conference, Isaiah. And so we're going to start and begin in the book of James. And we are going to talk about practical faith. And that's what this book is really about. It's about faith, the intersection of theology and life, the intersection of what you believe about God and how you live your life. That's really an important intersection. And we're going to start by reading in James 1. If you don't have your Bible with us, if you don't have your Bible today, that's fine. If you have God's Word, um, a copy of it, please go ahead and turn there if it's on your phone, whatever. James 1.1, 1, 1. if you don't have that, we will be on the screen with the text as well. So if you would, let's start in verse 1 of James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want you to think for a second about maybe if you've been on an airplane, and Amy and I were flying to New York a couple of years, well, it's been several years ago now. We were flying to New York, and there was a flight attendant on this flight, and it was kind of a wild flight. In fact, she had to get up, this flight attendant, she said, we can't leave until everybody sits down, which you're like... Wow, she went elementary school teacher on us, okay? She was yelling that, and we got, she actually was sitting in the jump seat right near where we were. You could tell we were sitting in the high-class part of the plane near the end, okay? And so I, the lady was right there, and I talked to her. I said, man, this flight's kind of unruly. She says, you have no idea. And she also, she kind of just, we got to just chatting, and she looked kind of nervous. I said, are you okay? She's like, I hate flying. <laughs> She's a flight attendant. Am I lying? That's what she said, right? I hate flying. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So we get, begin to watch her and talk to her, and we notice something about a stewardess on an airplane. And recently I've been flying a lot, and you know this. They will tell you with a smile everything is okay no matter what is happening. You realize that, right? What you need to look at when you're on an airplane is not the steward, what the stewardess says, but what the stewardess does. Or the steward, that's equal opportunity, okay? Because what they do will not match up with what they say, okay? You'll know if there's a problem because their smile will go to like a, a very blank expression. What they do actually matters. So if you see a flight attendant that it, you get some turbulence and they're like, oh, this is fine, you know, they're still smiling at you and they're acting normally, you're good. If you are in a plane and the turbulence is happening and the person is still smiling at you but they're moving around very briskly, you might be in trouble, okay? And here's the correlation here. We can learn a lot about a person's faith and the genuineness or lack thereof by how they respond in times of trouble. You can learn a lot about someone's faith that way. James is writing, first off, we start in verse 1, James, a servant of God. This is a, this is a, a pretty traditional, um, especially in the Greek world, way to start a letter. We start our letters with the, the person that we're, you know, we don't start it with our name. We start with the person we're writing to. We start our emails. So if I'm writing one to, you know, to Amy, I'll say, Amy, or 
hey, babe, or something like that. They didn't do that. They actually put their name at the beginning, which actually, you know, if we thought about it, putting, putting our name at the beginning of emails might be helpful because people be like, I don't want to, <laughs> you'll know if the person likes you or not. I'm not reading that one because I saw who it was, right? So this starts off with the author, and his name is James. And he, also, he just gives us very little about this. He doesn't do what a lot of the other New Testament writers do in their letters. This is actually more brief than most of them. He just qualifies and says, I'm James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James uh, is a very common name during this time period. So how do we know which one it is? Well, usually, if you're writing a letter to somebody, and in this time period, you give your credentials. He just starts off with James, a slave or a servant. The word is actually, you know, in its, in its strongest sense, means servant, means slave here. He says he's slave to God and of Jesus Christ. Now, the fact that he just needs a little, because his name is plain, and he just needs just a little introduction, it speaks to who he actually is. And we think, and I think this is the best case scenario, the best that we can reconstruct, is that G- James is the half-brother of Jesus. Why is he the half-brother of Jesus? Because Jesus was conceived while his mom, Mary, was a virgin. And after the fact, and this is contrary to, some, to Catholic teaching and some other ones, it just makes no sense, she married Joseph, and after Jesus was born, she did not perpetually main, remain a virgin, okay? They had kids, and the, the natural p- scope of life happened, and Jesus had brothers, now, Mary did not perpetually marry, but Jesus was conceived as a virgin, or she conceived while she was a virgin, and not only that, she gave birth, and she was still a virgin, and so Jesus came on the scene. Now, James is Jesus' half-brother, the child of Mary and James. Now, here's the funny thing about it. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother, first off? You can never blame anything on him, okay? He can always pull the Son of God card, right? <laughs> All right? Jesus is doing No, he's not. I know he's not. It's your fault, James. Dang it, okay? That, that is what we have here. Secondly, we know something from Scripture and the, and, and the Gospels that James and his family, even Mary, who had the angel visitor, and she became pregnant without knowing a man, they doubted Jesus and his Messiahship. They doubted him. In fact, at one point, Mary and his brothers go to see him when he started his ministry, and they go to bring him home because they think he's being crazy. And they go up to him, and they're like, hey, Jesus, want to come home? And they, they, said, they tell Jesus, because he's preaching in this big place, and they said, Jesus goes, he says, your, or they, the crowd says, your family is outside. And he goes, no, my family is not outside. My family is those who believe in the words that I'm speaking and so at one point, they were kind of embarrassed. They had, you know, you have that person probably in your family, the crazy one in the family that you don't like to, like, bring up at family reunions, okay? Or, or you're like, oh, you're related to so-and-so? And you're like, yeah. There was a time where they looked at Jesus as the crazy brother. And so what happens here is this is a clear sign of the resurrection that someone who doubted now is writing a letter And he's saying he is a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is calling his very own half-brother Lord and Savior. Now, in doing so, I want you to just, just, this is is clear. I want you to know this. It doesn't matter where you are in your level of unbelief. God can change you. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, I tell you, Clint and I, get we go to the Early Bird Cafe a lot, and we see everybody in Hartsville, it seems like. And when we do that, sometimes people come up to us and say, they're interested in coming to church, but like, I can't walk in that door. Something's going to strike me. If it does, it won't. 
Oh, it might, okay? But I want you to get it. It was not because of judgment, because there's grace. God, most of the people who spread, in fact, all the people were sometimes enemies of God who spread his word. But in the scriptures, you got a guy like James who was disbelieving and, and kind of thinking Jesus was nuts. And now he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word of God. Got Paul who persecuted Christians. And what happens? Meets Jesus on the road. He was blind so he could see. And he spreads the good news. You are not too far for grace to change you. You are not too rooted in your unbelief. The Lord can change you. Jesus can change you. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God can bring new life in your life. And so just know that. So this has got James. It's, just, it's short. James, a servant of God, or a slave of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to the validity of the res- resurrection, and it, ex- it speaks to the power of God's grace in people's lives, that this one who doubted is now the one who is preaching. And so James starts off, he says, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ who inter- introduces himself, and because if you got a plain name and you just say, it's like me saying, my name's Matt. Do you know how many Matt Browns there are in the English-speaking world? Like infinity, Okay. The plainest name in the world. But if some of you guys said Pastor Matt in this church, you would know who I was talking about. James was a pastor of, he actually became the chief pastor of all of the churches in Jerusalem. He was the chief, one of the, the leaders of that church. And so he is writing after, he's writing during this time period to this particular group. Here's the recipients. We've got the author and here's the recipients. He says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. Now, Got to go. We got to tap back into some old our Old Testament Rolodex, if you will. Okay, you got to put that in the search bar. Here's what happened: There was twelve tribes of Israel, twelve different families that that became tribes that made up the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel. What happened was they continued in their sins. The prophets told them to repent of their sins. They would not repent. So God sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians to destroy those two kingdoms and to send people all over the face of the earth. The people of God were shattered, scattered, and battered, okay, if you will. And they were all over the world. There was a pro- During this time of captivity, there's prophecies about the coming where God's going to restore Israel. Now, I want you to know something. James is using this term figuratively because there is a renewed Israel now. There's a renewed people of God. Do you know who they are? They are all who believe in Jesus Christ are a part of the people of God. And we are all Abraham's sons because of our faith in Jesus, not through circumcision. So we just get this out of, the, out of the way here. He is writing using this biblical image of people who are scattered all about to show that we as believers, he is writing to Christians, probably some who had, probably mostly who had Jewish backgrounds, but Christians nonetheless, who are a part of the people of God and who are scattered all about. And there's two things you need to know about this, this idea of dispersion real quick. It's first this one. The most, the most, evident meaning of the text is this. There's people, there's a, a, while James is pastoring the church in Jerusalem, a persecution broke, breaks out. When the guy, if you go look in the book of Acts, there's a man named Stephen. He's a deacon. And he's, he's martyred. He's killed. And the guy holding the clothes for the people doing the stoning of Stephen is a guy by the name of Saul who becomes Paul. And in Acts chapter 11, 
it talks about how God spread his church all throughout the regions to take the gospel through that persecution, and he spread them all across the globe through this persecution. Not only that, he raises up a missionary out of it. Saul became Paul. We talked about that, and he spreads the gospel too. So what's happened is he is writing to people who most likely, given the most immediate context of this letter, he's writing to people he probably pastored who have been scattered by this, and so he's writing this letter that is kind of general and broad to Christians everywhere, most of whom now were from Jerusalem but are now scattered everywhere. The second thing I want you to know is this. And the Bible uses this term dispersion in 1 Peter to talk about the fact that believers, this is not our home. We are, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and we are dispersed right now here. I want you to just, just take a deep breath. Take that in. Your homeland, in one sense, is America probably. Some of you might be a different country. But your ultimate homeland now, when you pass from death to life and when you have faith in Jesus Christ, your home, your first allegiance is no longer to the red, white, and blue, but to the red cross of Calvary. So you just need to know that. The dog that we have in this hunt is not making America great or whatever. The dog we have in this hunt is, is showing the great name of Jesus to be great everywhere. And this is not our home. This is not where we are going. We are, we, are, we are just sojourners, pilgrims, if you will. We're camping out. We're waiting for the day when we go home for real. And you know how it is to go home. I love to travel. I love to throw stuff in a suitcase, hop on an airplane, get in my car, and go. But i tell you something. I'd go for a long time, too. I mean, we, we, there was a time in our life we were traveling every weekend, going to different churches. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And we actually, I think we both, I hope you did. Okay, Amy, that's my wife down there if you're new here. We drove all around and did this stuff. But there was something like after a good, even a fun weekend or a fun week doing camp, when you roll into the house and you drop that bag and you can just sit on the couch however you want to and wearing whatever you want to, okay, that is home. And you know the difference. And I want you to know this. James is talking to people who are dispersed everywhere, knowing and telling them this place, you're in the dispersion, you're in this place, you're not yet home, but home is there and it's coming. And so how do we live? He's around these people that are obviously under persecution. How do we live in this time when we're dispersed, when we're not home, when we are put out as pilgrims? How do we live in this time of persecution? And then we're going to see here that he is going to speak specifically to problems they are having. So we got James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. We see his belief that has come out of unbelief. We see what God can do. We also see that the 12 tribes and the Spurgeon, it speaks to all Christians. He's writing in particular to those who have been kicked out of Jerusalem because of all of the things coming about with um, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. And then we get into verse 2. And we get some craziness, because these words just shouldn't, like, this should not be compatible with our thinking. But that, praise be to God, biblical thinking is not compatible to our logic. That doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. I'm not trying to get that, but it goes above and beyond. It, it is supernatural, because here we go in verse 2. It says this, count it all joy, my brothers. Just, just go ahead. If you got your own copy of God's Word, you need to just write this down or just circle this. Count it all joy. Just circle that. It's huge. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So he tells them to consider, every, consider it to be joy. What? When you go to Disney World? When life is perfect? Consider it joy when they have everything you want at just one store in Hartsville and you don't have to go to Pig and Food Land and Dollar General? Because everybody, you can almost buy everything you need to live in this town, but you just got to go to 17 stores. And you need to take a loan out, okay? That, that's just life here, okay? It's not saying count it all joy when they got it all at the pig, okay? It's don't count it all joy when your life is roses. Count it all joy when everything is, is turning up sevens. Count it all joy in what? It says this. Count it all joy, brothers, and that's one of his favorite terms to, to, to talk with these people of God who are scattered everywhere, and he probably pastored many of them. He says, when you meet various trials or trials of all different kind. So count it joy, consider it joy, not when everything is hunky-dory, but when you, can, when you encounter or fall into, it's more literal, when you fall into various kinds of trials. That is really tough to do. First off, this is not a call for us to be fake and to have some kind of dumb grin and ridiculous demeanor when bad things happen to us in our life. You've probably been around enough fake to last a lifetime. How you doing, brother? Everything good? Yeah, my house is falling in and everything caught fire and I'm great. Thanks for asking. If you ever meet somebody like that, you immediately want to hit them with a hot iron, okay? Like, what's your problem, man? However, there's a difference between that because I want you to know this. This word count or consider is used in other places, especially in the book of Philippians. When Paul talks about, I consider, it's the same word, I consider or count all things as rubbish next to knowing Christ. The all things as rubbish is all things, all wealth and all good things. You consider those things to be rubbish. It, ha it has to do with the decisive act of the will. So this is not, don't ever be affected when bad things happen to you. Walk around with a plastered, joyful grin in every situation. Never react. Never feel the sting of any pain. That is not what this is saying. Never be real or honest with the difficulties you're going with. That is not what this verse is saying. But it is saying this, as an act of your will, consider the hardships that you are going with. Look at them and evaluate them, and compare them to what God has for you in Christ and what he's doing you in your Christ, and consider that to be joy. It takes an act of the will to look at your situation and to find joy in God's moving in it. So this is not, this is called to go beyond your feelings. You get that? The scripture calls us to move beyond how we feel. Sadly, we most of the time live in how we feel, especially in our culture. Think about the Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter posts you may have seen this week. Oftentimes, some of us follow people who experience high highs and low lows, and you know that because they let you know, right? And it's fine to do that. I'm not dogging you, whatever. You want to do whatever you want to put out there, <laughs> it's all on you, okay? 
All right, and we'll enjoy reading it, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, so I want you to think about the experience. The high, in the same week, you see the person like, this is the best. My life is awesome. Rock on. God is so good. And the next one's like, my life is falling apart. Help me. Ah! And it's like, uh, life is like an EKG. You know what I'm talking about? Nothing. Okay, you know, down low, up high, nothing. The scriptures are calling you to live beyond the level of base desires. You realize that? We all bent towards sin. Default setting on the iPhone of our life is defaulted towards sin. Even our emotions are affected by that. And so what we have here is James writing to people who have been dispersed under persecution. Some of them have seen family members and other people killed for the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's who he's writing to in the most immediate context. Secondly, he will talk about people who are treated, treated badly because they are poor. These people who he's talking to obviously have a financial issue. They've been treated roughly by people who are rich, and so they are poor. Maybe they're poor because, likely they're poor because they are following Jesus, and they're experiencing financial hard times. So he is not minimizing their pain. He is just saying, when you look at it, consider it to be joy. And we're going to understand the reason why, but I want you, we have to live above our base desires, we have to live above that EKG, that we have to live above what we feel. Our feelings are deceiving. Am I right? I, I cannot tell you how many times I have felt one way and had to go and try to do the other. And sometimes it feels like I'm just not being true to myself. Okay? Well, here's the thing. If you're true to yourself, at your core you're sinful, and you're gonna, your life's going to lead to a lot of pain and suffering. So also, <laughs> it's called maturity, <laughs> not called fakeness when you do the opposite of what you feel. I have a four-year-old. I understand. He, <laughs> if we let him do everything he felt, our house would be destroyed. He'd eat candy for every meal, and it would just be bad news, right? Every time, Judson, no, no to that one. No! You know, we, we won't let our kids get away with it. We can get away with it. The scriptures are calling us, and he is writing to people who are experiencing pain. He is not minimizing their pain, but he is saying this. You must rise above it and consider an act of the will. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. This idea of various trials is perfect because it means trials of all shapes, forms, sizes, and this is great and beautiful. You want to know why it's so great and beautiful? Because none of us have an excuse to get out of it. How many times have you done this? If it's just me, just go ahead and just throw stones, okay? It's, that's just your thinking, Matt. How many of you ever, if you've even gotten to a sermon and you're like, well, that's not my situation in life, so yeah, everybody else needs this. I'm good, right? We'll just pass that one. How many times you, you talked about other people's problems and you try to get out, you, you kind of you, you do, you know, logical gymnastics to try to get out of the fact that you're being called on the carpet for these things. Here's the thing. Well, my situation is worse than this. <laughs> Trials of various kinds, all types. I can't count it joy because, no, the, the command here and the, and the exhortation here is to consider, what does it say? Count it all or consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Every shape, form, fashion of your trials 
is in view here. So you know who, ha- you know who can weasel out of this one? Nobody. Nobody in earshot's weaseling out of this. The call of the Christian is to consider and to make an act of the will to see your situations, the various trials and testings that come in your life, to see them and consider them to be joy. Now, here is the reason why. He doesn't just leave us with the thing that you need to have joy in all of your life. Even when you're encountering various trials, he gives us reasons why. If you go on in verse 3, it says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Why and how are you to count it all joy in all situations? How are you to look at a situation and say, I know that I should have joy even in this difficult time. How are you to do that? You look beyond the situation and you see that God is at work. The call is to rise above. To to trust. This is not just a call to positive thinking. Positive thinking gets you nowhere. Positive thinking is is akin to self-deception. What this is, is faith. This is faith when it intersects with problems. This is practical faith, right? Because we all have, we talk about faith, we talk about the promises of God, and we believe the promises of God, and we sing the promises of God, and we stand on the promises of God, and we say the promises of God, and some of us even get blankets that have the promises of God on them, like Jeremiah 29, 11, okay? Or you get a thing in your house that has the promises of God all over the place. We talk about the promises of God, we talk about them, we talk about them, we talk about them, which is good. But now when tr- t- tough times come, that's when we have to believe the promises of God in the tough times. And by doing so, we look beyond our current situation and our current feelings, and we look to what Jesus is doing in our lives. Count it all joy. Brothers, when you encounter all sorts of various trials, go ahead and insert your trial in there. Count, you're supposed to count it all joy. Why? Because the testing of your faith, know this, God never tempts a man, but he does test men and women. And he tests us for a reason. Testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. Think about this. Why are you to consider it joy? Why are you to say, I will not be bitter and beaten down and and be crushed by the circumstances, the difficulty that's coming in my life? I will not do that. I will rise above it by the grace of God, knowing that the Lord is working in my situation. And And he is producing in me perseverance and steadfastness. He is working in me. And perseverance is a good thing. How many of you have, have, have worked out before in the past, and then maybe you didn't work it? You don't have to answer. This is rhetorical, okay? I don't wanna, we're, not, we're not taking polls. We got somebody in the back that's writing it out. We're going to sign you up for the gym down here, okay? That's not what we're doing, okay? You've worked out in the past, and you were, your threshold for working out was pretty good. And then you stopped for a while. And you got to get back into it. First day, if you go try to run a marathon... After not doing that, you're going to pay dearly, right? You're probably going to go to the hospital. I mean, life flighting you somewhere, okay? It's the big one, okay? You're going down. What do you do? You don't start with a marathon. What do you do? You keep going to build that endurance, and you keep going. You keep going. And I want you to see this. Why are you to count it all joy and consider it and look at your circumstances and not be crushed by them? 
Not to have a dumb grin, but to have an actual, you're just not bitter and beat down and negative. You have faith, a faith that moves, a faith that breathes, a faith that sustains, a faith that does give you happiness in God in the toughest times of life. How do you do that? You have to look above your situation and your feelings and see that God is moving to persevere you. And listen, I want you to know this. Faith does not come by works. Okay? Our salvation is not through works. It's by all, it's all, of, God's, it's all of God's doing. But I want you to know something. Our, a faith that fails to persevere is not genuine at all. Let me say that again. A faith that fails to persevere is not genuine, but a persevering faith is always genuine and leads to salvation. And what does God do in these times? These are trials. It's kind of like running, or he's just in, he's working on your endurance. He's testing you. He's growing you. He's moving you, growing you in, in ways you can glorify him more through the tough times. I tell you something. I still have I still have a temper, but Lord, if y'all knew me when I was twenty, you wouldn't let me walk in the door here. I wouldn't. I would have passed here for about four seconds and left because I was such a hothead. I had this giant chip on my shoulder, and I'm not what I'm sure. I'm not sure what it was from. Okay, but I walked around with a chip on my shoulder. Anybody say anything I didn't agree with? I was like, well, we're gonna fight, and I'm gonna win. Okay, and sometimes I would win. Other times I'd just be a jerk, ranting and raving. Okay. And I want you to know something. Through the times in my life, the good and the bad, I can look back now and see where God has brought me from. My wife's like, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because I used to go, I used to go off, I used to fly off the handle about all sorts of different things. And it wasn't so much even, I get mad, I get mad at myself, I get mad at these different things. I want you to know something. Through the tough times in my life, and it's really been through those tough times where I've had to manage my anger and rise above my anger and, 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 and count the situations as joy where God has moved me through that. And I still got a long way to go. That's a lot of O's, okay? But I can look back now and to see how the tough times in my life, God has used it in perseverance, and perseverance has brought in me. It has, it has worked in my life. And then here's, what, here's the final end game we see in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. It's actually complete effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking nothing. The only imperative, the only command actually we have in the first four verses is actually here, have, let steadfastness, or it's the same word, perseverance, have its full effect. How do you let perseverance have it, its full effect? Well, you do it by when you encounter trials, you don't become so angry, discouraged, and bitter that you can't find joy. You, in every situation in life, no matter if it's financial troubles, spiritual issues, health issues, church issues, whatever it may be, you, an act of the will, you, don't, you, you consider it joy. The, the potential for bitterness and anger at God or other people is there, and it, it'll just, it's d destroying to our lives and our spiritual lives. But if we can look at these different types of trials, no matter what they are, and we look at them, 
and we count it all joy and we continue on in our faith and we don't give up and we don't let the bitterness win and we don't let our hostility grow and we don't let that sin, which is a cancer, stay in us, but we confess it and repent it, repent of it and we still try to find joy in Christ in all these situations and we see his hand in all of it, that he is working something good in us so we can count it joy. When we do all that, we continue on in the faith. That is how we let perseverance have its full effect and make us complete. Because here's the idea. God is working in these situations. In your tough times, it's times of testing, he's working in there to persevere you. And the perseverance and the act of that and the, and the, work and the difficulties of persevering, he is working to do something in you. Here's what it is that you may be perfect, whole, complete, and lacking in nothing. Get this, God uses even the trials in our life, and sometimes exclusively the trials in our life, to build us up spiritually. Because our spiritual selves will last for eternity. Our physical body will perish and one day be resurrected and united with our spirit. But until then, he's working on you. He's much more concerned about your holiness than your circumstances right now. And he will use your circumstances right now to persevere you and to present you to himself perfect, complete, whole, and not lacking anything. And how do we, do, how do we let it have its full effect? And how, do we, how does that produce? We produce by when we encounter trials. We see God's hand in it. And... We, as an act of the will, we consider it joy because we know he's working in it. It's, you, you know the difference between these two things if you've walked with Jesus at any time. There was a guy, he produces a lot of music for these Christian rap groups, okay? The, it's, um, his, name is, his name was DJ Official, all right? All right. <laughs> I, f- I sounded weird saying that. That was, his, that was his name. I didn't make that up, okay? His name was DJ Official, and he produced m- Christian rap music, and he, was, he did beats and all this kind of stuff for Lecrae and Tadashi and, and, and Tripoli, a bunch of these guys who are really making, they're actually, they're, they're really making the scene in hip-hop, okay? Very well-known guy. He got cancer, a very weird form of cancer. Had to replace his kidneys, and he, in writing this, his faith remained steadfast, throughout the whole thing, and there's several situations. You go check him out if you're into, into that kind of stuff, but I wanted to leave you, with, or I want you to hear what he said. He basically said, if this works out and I'm healed, glory to God. If it's not, glory to God. He's staring, at, and he was about, he's about 40 years old, got three kids, well-known, people all over the Twitterverse and, and people all over their websites were praying for him, lifting him up in Jesus' name. Well, here's what happened. God did not heal him on this side. He passed away and left all that there. But his testimony is true. that He, did not, he looked at his situation and he could have become bitter. He could have seen all the negative. He could have not seen God's hand. He could have, think, he could have thought even God is against him, like Job even thought for a while. But what did he do? He, when his faith hit the practic- hit the, the real-world issue of trial, he looked at it, and it was a bleak, bad situation full of chemo and surgeries and eventual death. It was not easy for this guy. And he didn't even look the same from the pictures that you had on his website to the day he died. He must have lost 100-and-something pounds. He was skeletal. He was nothing left of him. 
And what did he do? He looked that thing in the face. He looked death in the face. He looked trial in the face. And he considered it joy. You know why? Because he had faith that God was working. That he was, either he was going to be persevered and brought through this and be better for it, or God was going to take him home and heal him completely and whole. And that is, that is the type of thing that we are speaking of here. You can find joy in the darkness if your faith looks to Jesus. And he will complete you, bring it whole, lacking nothing. I think the best way I can drive this point home is to give you an example of somebody who is maturing but is not yet mature. And I have to do this when he gets old. I have to stop doing this when he gets old enough to kind of realize this. But I'm going to go back to my four-year-old son, Judson. See, we want to mature him. Okay? We do our best to. We fail a lot. Hopefully, sometimes we succeed. But one, we started playing, all, we got a bunch of board games and little fun games, okay, that he liked to play with us. We got a, one of them is like you turn a crank and it you know, shoots pie on your face. It's really fun. Well, here's the thing. He hates to lose. Just makes him so mad. So you know what he'll do? You get start beating him, and I beat him on purpose a lot of times. <laughs> Don't get me in this. <laughs> just so I can feel awesome, big about myself. No, just because he needs to learn how to lose, right? Okay? So, I mean, we'll, he'll, I'll block shots from him or play basketball. Like, no! Okay, I mean, I, then I let him score some too, okay? You know what I mean? You know, it's just that that's, that's what's going down. But what he got in this habit of doing is when we start beating him, he'd be like, I'm going to quit and leave. And he'd try to take the game, and, and we were like, uh-uh, son. Sometimes you lose. And I want you to learn. Why, why am I doing this? Am I being mean? Some of you might think I am. Okay, I'm crushing the self-esteem. I don't think so. What I am trying to say, son, sometimes we lose and tough things happen. You can't pick up your ball and go home when you lose. You're not, that's not maturity. Maturity is taking it on the chin and going back at it again and persevering, Right? What do you think God's doing to, for his children? James calls them brothers. Why, why is James calling all these people brothers? Because we're all brothers, si brothers and sisters underneath the one who is his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And God, we are not as mature as we think we are. And we have to mature. And how does God mature us? It's not by letting us win all the time. Not by letting our life be perfect and happy and, and sunshine and rainbows. How does he work it? He brings tests in our lives through various trials to persevere us so that we would be mature, complete, whole, and lacking nothing. He's a good dad. And when we go, I can't believe this. I'm mad at God. I'm so I'm this. We're being immature. And church, if we're going to grow... We gotta all be more mature. I got a, I got a thing. This has been our whole, our whole focus this year has been going forward as followers. I think is it gonna pull? Yeah, thank you, Don. It's this idea, and we got an image on here. It's a tree with the roots going deep. So it, and if the roots don't grow deep, the tree can't grow out. And this is a call. James, the book of James is a call to practical faith. When your faith intersects with life, how will you live? 
How will you show what you really believe? Will you be like the stewardess where you're saying all the right things but freaking out? Or will you let your faith grow deep and mature so you can grow? And God will use whatever means necessary to do that if you're his because he loves you that much. So count it all joy, brothers, sisters, when you encounter various trials, trials of all types. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, perseverance. And let steadfastness have its work. Don't give up. Count it joy. Why? So it can have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Lord wants to mature us all. He doesn't want it to be when we lose or when we encounter trials that we complain and whine and try to take our ball and go home. He wants us to steer into the skid and look at the pain and say, I choose joy because I know my Father is at work. And I will count all these days as joy and all this trial as joy. And I will work to do so, so that, that Christ, so I keep persevering. So he will keep doing a work in me, and he will keep completing me until the day when my faith is sight and I lack nothing. When your faith meets your trials, faith considers your trials joy because it looks beyond them and sees the work of God. God is at work, and he wants to mature you. He doesn't want you to keep you where you are. He doesn't want to keep you a nominal Christian. He wants you to be sold out to him in such a way where he says, go, you say yes. You don't ask where, you just say, here am I. When that place where you're going to fight the fight of faith in your family, even if it's tough, you're going to fight the fight of faith in all these situations. You're going to stare down the big obstacles in life, not with a, not with a dumb grin that tries to, tries to be positive, but with a faith that knows my God is at work, and I will have joy, and it will not crush me, because though the sorrow lasts for a night, the joy comes in the morning. Do not give up persevere. He does not want us to remain four-year-olds in our faith, but he wants us to be the type of people that, that are weak and vulnerable and face trials with a faith beyond measure, and it says joy when all around us gives way. Count it all joy. The Lord is working to complete you. Let's pray. Yeah, you're just so good to us. You don't leave us where you found us, God. You bring us out of death into life, out of hopelessness into hope, out of meaningless trials into understanding that you're working in everything to, for our good and for your glory. Help us when life, when our faith intersects with trials to count it all joy. God, there are people really struggling today in this church body. We lift them up to you, and we pray that you work in them so they can make the decisive decision towards joy. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for our church. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray all this in the name above every name, Jesus. Amen.